Great, so welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. My name is Daniel Whitehead. I am the CEO of Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries, and during COVID-19, I'm also the host of our podcast. Uh, During this time, we're doing things a bit different. We're getting different friends we know from around the world, different parts of the world, different vocations, to just talk about their work, how they're doing during this time of pandemic, and uh, yeah, to see what's, what's going on for them. And today, I'm joined by my friend Miriam Swanson and I nearly said Miriam Swaffield because Miriam got married recently I've got a piece I can read to you because oh yeah go on yeah let's see what this says Miriam um it says Miriam Swanson is the global student mission lead for Fusion a UK-based movement that helps university students find hope in Jesus and home in the local church she is based in Jacksonville Florida because she went and married an American but she helps churches reach students all over the world Miriam, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. It's good to be here, Daniel. Well, from afar, obviously. I'm actually at home. It's really good to be here. <laughs> yeah, in Jacksonville. So when did you move to Jacksonville? Like eight months ago. I'd, I'd never even heard of it before I met Ben. I, I don't really know where I am. Wow, that's so cool. So, well, it's so because I last saw you but a year ago in England, at an event in England. And um, i I'd be honest, I heard you speak in England I haven't told you this. And while you were speaking, I messaged a friend of mine and I said, have you heard of Miriam Swaffield? Question mark. So I've been living in Canada for four or five years. I'm out of touch with what's sure, going on. Out of touch. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, uh, yeah. And, and I said, she's a really amazing speaker, exclamation mark. And he's like, uh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so there we go. In my head, you're Miriam Swaffield, oh, you, but you're now Miriam Swanson, which isn't too I'm big. I'm Miriam Swaffield in my head too. So I'm still yeah. confused. Helpfully, yeah. the three letters are the same, so that's a relief. Yeah, that's a that's a bonus. And so you moved eight months ago to Jacksonville, but your role is the same. You, you're still doing the same role for Fusion, which is this global thing. Yeah. Tell us a bit about your role. To be honest, I'd already been uh, meeting with uh, church leaders in other nations who were who were interested in this idea that the local church could really be at the heart of student mission and university student mission at the heart of the local church. So anyone that got hungry for that. Um, I'd often go and be that initial, let's have a conversation and let's see, well, do you have a campus nearby? Have you ever reached young adults before? How is your church community potentially could be part of that family for this generation coming up? So all of those initial conversations and they were happening, are happening all over the world. So that took me to a bunch of places, including the States a little bit. So it wasn't, it wasn't a huge stretch to be based here to continue that work. Um, Although obviously at the moment I'm not traveling anywhere. So, mm. yeah, of course. And also, Miriam, am I right in thinking you're you're ordained? Yeah, technically, I am a reverend. Okay. Reverend Miriam Swanson. Yeah, that Great. happened. Yeah, a year and a half ago, something like that. A year ago. Great. And yeah. um, Church of England. Yeah, I was. Uh, I've had a funny old upbringing. My dad's actually ordained in the Baptist Church. He's a Baptist minister, and then I went to a conservative evangelical for some of my teenage years. Then I went to a fresh expression of Church of England when I was at university and helped, then helped kind of lead it and help it kind of plant different expressions and things. And then in, in the process of being in the Church of England in my adult life, just recognised uh, one of the ways the Church of England helped recognise and frame people who are leading and trying to start fresh expressions of church as they like to ordain them. So essentially through a, a very old funny route, I got a master's in theology and got a dog collar. Wow which I've worn about twice. Well, I would wear it more often if I were you in all kinds of 
situations. People think I'm in fancy dress. That's the trouble. When I was walking to my ordination service, it was really early in the morning that I had to go. And I was dressed all in black with a clerical collar. And I knew that people thought I was just walking home after a big night out <laughs> rather than walking to church. They just so weren't which expecting, might have been, which, to be yeah, honest, yeah, so weren't expecting me in a clerical collar. But there we go. The collar helps, so right, because I was a minister in England for about eight years, and I remember one time a member of our church, their father was, um, he was an elderly guy, he was in a hospice, and he had never really shown any interest. And he said, "I want to see a priest." And the mm. member of the church said, "Oh well, I'll get our pastor." And he said, does he have a collar? And and they're like, well, no. And he's like, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. He, he wanted a collar. So I should have bought Can't a collar. Walk. It's fine. You can fake it. No, don't yeah. do that. Don't listen to that. <laughs> so, so, Miriam, you got married eight months ago. Uh, quickly tell us a bit about your life, uh, who you're married to, if you're happy to tell us. Yeah, uh, Ben and I got married in November. Um, he's a director for college ministry for a, a movement called Young Life. So... Uh, Lots of people will have heard of them. They're massive in the States, but they're actually all over the world. And he uh, helps reach university students as well. Um, so plenty of synergy. That We first started talking, actually, because uh, we were called to the same thing. We both raise our own salaries. We both work full-time for student mission. And I met his best friends randomly in Canada, actually, years ago. And they were like, you two should at least have a conversation about your two organisations. So that's kind of where it began. But... Um, yeah, moved over here, part of a, a brilliant vineyard church just down the road, the pastor of which is our best friend who introduced us. So got a real strong community, brilliant little small group, and um, really loved my neighbours as well. I made a big effort when we moved into this street to door knock, essentially, and begin to introduce ourselves and say, you know, like, well, basically, we hosted like a coffee morning with donuts. I sent Christmas cards, basically with that idea of if we've just moved into the neighbourhood, what's it like to live next door to Miriam and Ben? And I thought, you know, you've got a small window of transition when you're new to set a new normal. And I'm so glad we did now, not only because we've got genuinely some of our closest friends in the community are now next door, but because thanks to the pandemic, suddenly our neighbours, all the people that you could see were the people that are on your street. And so to already know about 20 of them, we now know 30, 35 of the street and we wow. genuinely are friends just when a global crisis hits and you really need your neighbours to be your friends. So I'm very, very grateful for our little community and the way that we've uh, been able to make some lovely friendships out of just the people around us. Wow, that's amazing. So how, uh, talking of the pandemic, how are you coping? What, what are you, how, how is the pandemic in your world right now? Well, Daniel, you and I both know that it's a slightly strange experience being in a different culture than watching your home nation respond differently to a pandemic than the nation you're in to varying degrees of success. So uh, we've got quite a split experience because I'm on the phone to my friends in England and uh, probably a third of the people that I speak to um, and I'm in touch with would say that they've had the virus or a friend has or a family member. My brother has recovered from coronavirus, thank goodness. And... Um, and I've had some friends lose family members to it. And we've got some very vulnerable people with medical conditions around us. So mm. uh, we've tried to respond very uh, safely as we can, even though we are uh, less at risk for the sake of the people around us. But um, yeah, it's very mixed to be in one country that's had one reaction and then listening to home. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that because we were obviously, we watch, I mean, maybe you can relate to this. We watch British news. We'd, yeah, I mean, right. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we've lived here five years and we still watch British news. 
Um, I just recently downloaded local like CTV news uh, because I felt like I should. I'm like, I, I need to transition over, but I still read British news. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so we... Um, we were watching what was going on in Britain and seeing what was happening. So we were a little bit ahead of the curve in saying there's something bad coming, guys, there's something bad coming. And um, again, BC has done, uh, by God's grace, it's been amazing that BC hasn't been as affected as you know mm. other, other places. So, um, but again, we tend to take our lead from what's happening in Britain, not so much yeah, what's happening here, which is we're way more overcautious than many of our friends who are saying, oh, it's fine now, or we can open things up more. Like nope, we're going to stay in lockdown as long as, as long as we need to. But um, okay, so that's that sounds actually in many ways it sounds amazing. Like the kind of setup you've got, you've got this close connection with your community around you. That you're, um, in in many ways it could feel like you're, it's certainly in the local. You talked about family in Britain, but in the local, you're kind of business as usual. In, in well, it's a bit of a strange one because I was on a sabbatical from work up until when lockdown happened. So because I'd married Ben, I needed a uh, work permit to stay and be able to legally work it. So I had to take uh, about four months off until the paperwork came through. And then the strange timing of it was all my legal documents came through to be able to start work at exactly the same time as, basically I got permission to travel and permission to work. And within two days, all travel had been locked down and um, everyone had to go home from work or were losing jobs. So there was this strange moment of my start of a new season was just as the whole world flipped. So um, I've not been able to drive here because I needed the paperwork to, to get a license. I've not been able to go further than I can walk or cycle. My life has naturally slowed down and got very local, having had a very international and traveling kind of job. So it's been this really interesting season where, for me, lockdown was almost a continuation of the limitations that I was in. Mm. And um, in some ways, that became a gift because I kind of had a head start in some of these slower rhythms and some of these different paces of practice. I'd been very local. I'd already been cultivating these local friendships. And so that felt very, very funny. But it also meant that, you know, when friends have been furloughed or laid off work and are going, gosh, I've sort of been accidentally given a work break we've then been able to have really healthy conversations around what to do with that time because i just done that mm. once hmm. even though i've now gone back to work in a pandemic so so it's been strange but a, a real a blessing in some ways because it's not been a big shock to the system um in terms of my personal and that you know that's a privilege to say that but in terms of having just been on a sabbatical it wasn't a shock to not be able to leave the house uh, or go very far um, for some people that's felt very very limiting very quickly so yeah and that's really interesting when you talk about the your sabbatical in the build-up to this and learning some rhythms of I mean call them what you like rhythms of rest or I would say rhythms of wellness maybe um mm. maybe share share some of those rhythms what kind of things did you learn in your sabbatical that you've been able to carry on well one of the biggest things uh for me one of my biggest learning uh, sort of for it's continuing now was around um, just not uh, not feeling guilty and not feeling inadequate because I wasn't producing something right when the world is structuring its whole existence around people as a means to an end and then the invitation of Jesus is that people are never a means to an end mm. in fact people are the ends of like why he loves us and why he made us so to to physically and in fact legally 
have to be okay with being enough because I professionally, I couldn't do any public ministry given that's my actual job. You can't just go preaching around churches for free and say it doesn't count as work. That's not how that goes. Mm. Genuinely to have to slow down to the point of going, I am totally enough and God is enough in me and I'm not producing anything that can be measured or it can be performed in any way for anyone else. That's been a phenomenal invitation and a phenomenal discipline to just be utterly satisfied with today I read, today I rode a bike, today I planted a garden. Um, just really normal, normal, normal mm. things and finding holiness in really normal everyday dirt under your fingernails in the soil or cooking dinner or, you know, that normal stuff. So that's been a real gift. Um, and uh, and has meant that going back to work, I don't feel so much pressure to meet outside expectations of what it means for me to be back at work. And therefore, can you deliver? Brrr. That's mainly not from fusion, but it's more a case of outside invitation that would be, oh, good, since you're back, could you do this and this and this and this and this? And actually allowing the Holy Spirit to be like, we're not in a hurry. You are mm. enough. I am enough in you. So what mm. do you what do you think? You know, what am I inviting you into? What, what would you like to do? So, um. Miriam, tell me, uh, yeah, tell me about this this whole thing of slowing down. How how are you how are you continuing to slow down your life at this, at this different pace? So I think one of the one of the temptations with starting work again would be naturally to speed back up to begin responding and to begin sort of progress and produce and all that. So Ben and I decided to uh, just begin a morning discipline of centering prayer, which is essentially where you sit in silence for a period of time, we've chosen 20 minutes, and you use maybe a word that helps draw you to focus on God's presence within you. So the word might be Jesus, like as simple as that, or love, or Yahweh, or just whatever kind of word helps you focus on God. And we genuinely just uh, start our day by sitting and uh, in stillness and focusing that God is in us. That's it. Now, to be honest, um, that mainly at the moment centering prayer looks like learning how to fight constant distraction because um you spend most of the time re-centering yourself that god's in you before you start singing a song or thinking about what you're going to do that day or you hear a fly or whatever but i think part of the funny thing about prayer and slowing down and you don't pray in order to then do it right so then you've done it and tick boxes half the well, the whole point really is communion with God. It's like hanging out with the presence of God. And so uh, as much as it is a frustrating process, learning how to be still and genuinely not ask for anything or, to, or even just just a focus that he is in you and you are with him and that is enough, um, that helps the whole day be shaped around it started with stillness rather than when you've done your whole day, finally you can be still. Mm. So we're doing a couple things like that and even like, it sounds silly, but choosing to um, like, you know, maybe maybe in our lunch break, walk our little yard and inspect all of our vegetables that we're growing. <laughs> but like going through this slow process, being away from a screen for a minute of watching creation and growing things for us, that's become this slowing down and like savoring um, the stuff that we can't make, but mm. somehow we get to enjoy these massive bell peppers that are growing in my garden mm. or 
the tomatoes that keep getting eaten by worms you know all that mm. good stuff so that's really interesting so the, i'm hearing like learning the discipline of slower pace um mindfulness like meditation these are these are the sort of buzzwords mm-hmm. in my right. culture but these are the things you do it makes me think in the whole mental health conversation one of the one of the challenges can be um that uh, let's say we've all had a, a maybe a relative from a, someone from a different generation kind of going, you know, mental health, that's a kind of snowflake generation issue. Like we didn't, we didn't have mental health problems back in our day. And some of us mm-hmm. are really, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, um, maybe. Uh, but, you know, I, I kind of wonder if, you know, the very pace of our life that, that the, the world has become the technology, productivity, um yeah you know all of these things have put us under such pressure and strain that the external stresses which can tip someone into mental unwellness or keep someone in a long period of of um languishing in their mental health or or even mm. a, a mental a diagnosed a mental illness um it's like we're surrounded by opportunities to be pushed over into something else and uh mm. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to me in this season of slowing and forced slowing down that um, yes. there are some people, I have friends who are saying, I haven't felt on one level, felt this well in a long time because I have Gosh. I have more time to breathe. I have more room to, to be, to look at the plants, to, you know, which I, I don't normally have, to be with my children, which mm. I don't normally have. It's just, it's a fascinating thing. And I hope we don't, just revert back to what we did before right. we were able. Right. It's that I don't know whether it really depends on your cultural context, whether you've been, whether we've gone cold turkey enough and been weaned off our addiction to uh, busyness or the rat race or consumer can just consuming. I don't know whether, I don't know whether it's been long enough for some people to genuinely have broken an addiction I'd love to think that maybe some people that lead organizations, businesses, churches, I'd love to think that they could set a new culture because I'm really aware that I've got friends that would love to have a different pace, but they don't feel able because if the boss sets the tone and the boss says I get in at six and I leave at eight and I don't really see my kids, there's this unspoken expectation that to to do a good job is to match your leaders. And so I think for those of us that in any way lead teams or others, recognizing you know we might have to lead the way in setting the culture of of permission giving to to not spend eight hours straight in front of a screen but actually to have some space to create to think to Mm. dream to write to engage with your children before they go to sleep to disciple people or hang out with people and hear their stories not just constantly produce something of yourself or yeah i don't know i hope culture i hope those of us that are able and lead lead others are able to give permission that that slowing down might actually be the best thing for what people produce and what they do with their lives rather than somehow you get less mm. by creating some space and some bigger margins and there's an interesting thread there in leadership isn't there but when you think about the role of a leader uh, i was talking with um my friend nigel pollock who heads up intervarsity christian fellowship canada he's the president there uh, he was on the podcast recently and um he was talking about I don't know if it was on the podcast or separately, but he was talking about uh, leadership as um, uh, creating space to to think ahead of the curve. Right? This is a mm-hmm. leadership is about not reacting to the moment, but about envisioning what's 
I mean, there may be some reacting, but ultimately we need to find space. And I've been thinking that through about, um, you know, intentionally creating space to to plan, to dream, to envision. It seems so obvious, and yet it just strikes me that our culture, at least the culture I... It's so hard to do. Yeah, it just doesn't want to give me that space or validate that space. It would say that's, that's another snowflake thing. You guys, you just want to yeah. sit around and dream. Um like, well, actually, or you make me feel guilty for being off emails when actually one of the richest things that you could contribute is that thought space of having a three-hour gap where you're not responding to other people's agendas, but you're actually dreaming of what what is required of you. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. It's hard because it, you do feel pressure to, in some way, do something that you can then measure to then show that you've justified your existence and all that sort of mm. rubbish. <laughs> it's so true. I have a friend who's um, lived with... Uh, a bipolar disorder or a diagnosis mm. and um one of his key rhythms to finding wellness and a rhythm of wellness is to go for a walk every morning if you asked him what's been a, a really centering thing for you and your faith yeah, and right. managing it he's like just go for a walk every morning it's as simple as that so he had been encouraging me to go you should go for a walk every morning and now i do and and i've started doing Dude. it since covid started because it felt like well i can do it now i i I, I want to get outside and I, f- I just feel like I've got, I haven't got to be places. I haven't got to meet people downtown or in coffee shops. Or, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's been a tremendous gift. Just this simple practice of walking through a forest every day for an hour. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's gift. It's, you know, I'm aware of myself, I'm aware of my creatureliness. I'm aware of my own mental well-being or lack of, I'm aware of the, how I'm feeling more, um, I, I just keep finding people who stumbled across what seems patently obvious, and yet it comes as a revelation right. that you know we need to just walk more, be outside more, do gardening more. Talk. I'm pretty sure people have bought more dogs. I think there's a rise in puppies. I hope mm. there is because I think people are recapturing the idea of going for a walk and the discipline of getting outside, particularly when someone tells you you can't go outside more than once a day, for example. Yeah. Suddenly, outside becomes valuable. Because when it's taken away, you're like, I can't just have it when I want it. So then parks become valuable. The beach, when they close the beach, all the locals here that like classically fall into that taking for granted that they live by the sea thing, mm. they were, they, they genuinely, I've had friends be like, I have vowed I will never not see the sea every day after no. they took the sea away. And I was like, gosh, like it is funny what things like make you value and, you know, like, yeah, getting up every day is a discipline. Same here, like cycling for an hour a day or, or going for a jog or whatever that looks like to be in, be in the air, be in creation, mm-hmm. just reconnect. That's good stuff. Now, uh, student, you work with students, student mm-hmm. life, obviously student and mental health conversation. There is some um, brilliant work out there. People that I know, um, like Jack.org is a Canadian organization, do brilliant work with students. And they've just partnered cool. with... Uh, the Lady Gaga Foundation. She's got something. She's got some mental health thing. Initiative looks quite cool. Um, there'd be lots of initiatives for students, but I'm interested from your perspective, working in the faith student intersection. What kind of? And you may feel like you're stating the obvious, but what kind of trends are you seeing? What kind of things are the students you're working with experiencing in their in their mental health or mental wellness? Well, to be honest, when we talk to um... We, we help local church student workers 
reach students. So we're in touch with a lot of people that would lead groups of students. Some of those groups might be only five. Some of them could be as, as many as like 300. This is uh, in the UK. And um, uh, the number one pastoral question around student discipleship is what do we do about the mental health crisis? Hmm. Um, so th there's always there's always a hunger for how do we reach students that currently just don't know anything about the good news of God. So there's, there's always that question. But but right alongside it in terms of for the student community that we are already in touch with, what resources are there or um, basically help mm. because the gift of the church being this intergenerational family, this place of encountering God's presence is also a very vulnerable place because it's ideally at its best, it's real community, mm. it's real conversation and it's like real encounter. But that also means real stuff comes up. Yeah, And at university, you know, for, for anyone listening who, you know, has ever worked with a young adult that's left home, you also get this moment when they unpack their stuff in their new life, where they start to unpack their stuff from their childhood and they're growing mm -hmm. up, when they're stepping into their own young adult space and beginning to go, oh, not every family did that. Oh, you, so that's what it was like for you to grow up in an environment where you felt safe. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how unsafe I felt or... You know, so we find a, a lot of this stuff, if it hasn't manifested so much as te as teenagers, a, a lot more comes out as young adults, mm -hmm. people processing their identity away from the family unit or their familiar. So it is a big need and a big question, just like, as you would expect, you know, if you look at any of the university stats in the UK, for the universities that have chosen, you know, I, I welcome those that have chosen to publicise some of their statistics around those suffering from mental health like crisis moments and things um you can see the stats are on the rise and pretty overwhelming universities feel overwhelmed and so therefore churches who are looking to engage and serve that population equally feel overwhelmed to be honest mm. yeah that's very interesting it's very interesting that you talk about that um that's like the number one or the main thing it's not surprising sadly but um right. it's very interesting and what are your experience i mean Again, your answer may be, I don't really know. But what are your experiences of churches that are, that are doing well in that conversation? Do you do you, have you met churches that are being really intentional about trying to integrate, trying to make space for that, or is it more just it just happens organically or doesn't happen? It's a, it's the whole spectrum. Um, mm -hmm. I think generally the church is brilliant at um, befriending, and for a lot of students that are going through various levels of um, mental health crisis or just ongoing mental health struggles you know that whether it's a residual kind of river of anxiety running through life all the way through to um some very scary moments very kind of places of like suicidal thoughts and things mm. um overwhelmingly i don't really know any of the churches certainly that we're kind of working with ongoing that um aren't befriending really well as a, and everyone needs a friend <laughs> even on your darkest days when you just need someone to sit next to you and not talk to you, but just be there. Yeah. Everyone needs a friend. So in terms of the church, certainly not making anything any worse by praying for and befriending young adults. Um, I'm really proud of the local church and the way they respond. There are obviously varying degrees of how people, um, the kind of healing and the kind of ongoing journey that they need. And so um, university, um, resources and avenues are often um, very oversubscribed counseling sessions are often a couple months if not longer six month delay on being able to get maybe as many as six counseling sessions maximum mm. so i have seen um 
a, a rise in kind of responses around, okay, well, can we link students with local churches, just have someone to listen to them at very least? Can we help small groups be safe enough spaces uh, that whilst they're waiting for professional help, they're not on their own? Mm. Um, equally, um, you know, lots of student works do try and address this very directly with kind of evening speaking about mental health, yeah. really giving practical professional resources, uh, you know, of which... Um, you guys are part of that, you know, uh, as well as being able to pray and just sit with people in it and and basically break that stigma mm-hmm. that if you're in church, you have to be happy mm-hmm. or well, but come to church with all of the pain that you're feeling and know that God's hands are bigger, like he can hold all of that. And um, I've generally seen churches respond very sensitively, even if the truth is it does feel a bit overwhelming and you just wish there was a an easier way for people to feel okay in the world than often seems to be the case. Yeah. I think it's, there's a study that I think, well, needs to be done. We've talked about it. Um, and there's a genuine intent on our part to do a study. I, I, I'd be really interested to do a study among leaders of churches because talking about that, I don't know, just that innate desire for things to be, for people to be well or whatever wellness, you have to define wellness, but yeah. Sure things to be at peace and things to be, you know, moving along. I think there's a ton more or lack of wellness than we realize, um, even among leaders. I mean, my experience as, a, as leading a church was I I was struggling with mental health, but I had no language or framework to talk about it. I just, I didn't even know it was a thing, let alone have permission. Mm. Um, and that wasn't, I've never received a diagnosis, but when I look back, I go, yeah, I was like just emotionally dead and, and right. Right. That's a clear indicator that things aren't aren't going so well on those fronts. So I'm, yeah, I think it's really interesting how I think our students, our younger younger generation, who hopefully are growing up in this interdisciplinary world where they're you know accessing therapy and and faith mm-hmm. and they're kind of implicitly working out okay, well these have to coexist. And mm-hmm. Sanctuary tries to help people to go well. This is how they coexist. This is how you fit these different perspectives but i think there's a lot they have to teach uh the older generations about how to live in the tension of the already and the not yet and the um and just the honesty of yeah. that you know like there is in the in the kind of general workplace you get mental health days like there is now this increasing acknowledgement of there are some days where i actually coming in is is the least healthy thing i can do mm. for today and so there is an increasing language in society that give space for people to not be okay and that the wellness of a person to come before productivity, looking busy, whatever the thing is. Um, so I think, you know, there are some really positive signs and I'd say there are, there are also um, more leaders being more honest about what they're actually struggling with um, mm. for those that have a platform and have a microphone who are able to share a journey healthily with the group. I am seeing more people realise that isn't a weakness to share that, you went through a season of depression or whatever that thing may be. Um, but it actually kind of gives permission for the people that thought they were disqualified from being a proper Christian mm. or whether they really fit in the room because they're not actually doing okay to go, oh, so God can in fact work in me and through me, Absolutely. even in the middle of what feels like an absolute crisis. So yeah. I think some, some of that is really encouraging, uh, a really encouraging signs, but um but as always, this is still a very unknown and under-resourced area of health. So yeah. it, it wouldn't be fair to say that we've, there's enough out there. You know, I, I still think there's always 
more for us to learn and how to take care of people really well and ourselves. But mm. I love it. I just want to affirm that idea of friendship, just um, mm. connecting students with people who can be friends, who can be present, can be incarnate with people. I mean, that that's such a big part of it is, you know, the isolation and the loneliness and the um, right. the internalizing of our pain. It only exacerbates and compounds that pain. So I think mm-hmm. it's uh, just a beautiful vision to to be committed to the ministry of friendship. As an organization, yes. I just think that's that's amazing in and of itself as a as a goal. So um yeah, that's cool. Very cool. Uh so Miriam, look, I'm not gonna keep you much longer, but I have to ask you this question. Oh yes. Yeah. What is most culturally jarring being a Brit in North America? Cheese. What on earth is going cheese. on with the cheese? That was my answer. Wait, isn't it terrible? Cheese, yes. The cheese is terrible. Yeah, it's not if cheese. you get extra extra sharp cheddar yeah it's only just a normal strong english cheddar yeah and it still kind of tastes like melted plastic like it doesn't i don't quite... understand what's happened and if yeah. if you have to go and buy the good stuff aka from europe it'll cost you your yeah. shoes it costs mm-hmm. so much money halloumi is ten dollars for that excellent greek cheese that should be on every barbecue well, and halloumi is everywhere in Britain, right? When I was in Britain last October... Honestly, like, halloumi, there's been a halloumi revolution at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A halloumi didn't work. Okay. This is a great Here. moment. This is a great moment. Oh, it is yeah, the cheese. That was my oh, answer. Right. Okay, great. Well, yeah, it's awkward, isn't it? But that, that is generally the first thing that came to mind. It's like, what's happened to the cheese out here? Yeah. I have a, <laughs> I have a friend. I met someone once I met who was a dairy farmer, runs a really good dairy farm in in uh, in this area in, in canada and um he, he said to me we're having a lot of cheese over a meal which he had made it was very good cheese we were, we were like right. you know that thing they do in switzerland where they melt it and then put it on vegetables oh cool? come on now. anyway it's mm. great and he brought this wheel of cheese it's about this big so i ate, yes. i don't know how much cheese i ate but it was a lot and um in it he said to me he turned and said oh in Britain, they have some good cheese. I'm like, uh, yeah, we do. He said, yeah, I've had a couple of good cheddars from England. And I'm like, cheddar is English. Like, there's actually a place yeah. called Cheddar. And he didn't know that. He didn't cheddar Gorge, Wensleydale. We've got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, a lot of good well, cheese. Anyway, I, mean, I know that's shallow, but I think it's just because we're we're in that. Ben and I are on the hunt. Because now Ben's experienced English cheese. You can't really go back. You can so. Me. We're on the hunt for what is a what is a decent cheddar out here. So that that's what that came to mind because we just found some yesterday as part of the experiment. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I found Costco sell a really good English cheddar. There is one. I've been told that, but we won't go near it during the pandemic because, as you can imagine, Costco is a frenzy. Yeah, there you go. You'll have to wait. But yeah, there is a very good cheddar from there, which will go unnamed. But um... fine. We're not endorsing any I'm particular not endorsing brand. Any products. I don't know why. I just thought that makes me sound important to say I'm not endorsing. Sounds like the BBC. Not that we're endorsing the BBC, but I did just say. There you BBC. go. You've done it now. So <laughs> I did mention Costco as well. That's a, oh, yeah. Failed. That was your fault. Yeah. <laughs> um, any other comical moments about living in, in uh, Jacksonville you want to tell us about? Oh, we just don't understand each other. That's the truth. I think 50% of what I say is just misunderstood. The, the amount of times that people have genuinely said the line to me. I have no idea what you said, but I loved how you said it. And I'm like, cool. I just wanted to know where the restroom was. I like asked for tap water, and I realized that they don't use that phrase. Like, they give you table water. Uh-huh. If I go, oh, can I have tap water, please? They're like, yeah, yeah. I don't know what you're 
drinking out. I actually don't talk in restaurants anymore. I actually make Ben ask for water or do whatever because I'm like, I, I'm so exhausted with going. You know, like water that you don't pay for because it just comes, but it's yeah. from a tap, but not fizzy. But what you don't know what fizzy means. Oh, uh, not uh, sparkling. No, seltzer. Okay. Oh, my gosh. It's so confusing, the words. I, I think weekly I'd still say something that someone will go, hmm? Yeah. Can you? Including like Ben, and I actually live with him. So it's the struggle's real. Yeah, I love – I now do it on purpose with my staff where I actually say things that I know are British, so I'll kind of have this look in my yeah, eyes. Right. And there'll they'll be this moment of pause, and they'll look at me and be like, what What does that mean? And uh, look it up. But um, – but it also means if you do typos when you're messaging them and you write something that makes absolutely no sense, you can just say it's a Britishism. That oh, Britain means English phrase. What it was meant to mean. Yeah, that's. I'll tell you what. Playing bananagrams when you spell differently. Oh, yeah. Just like anything to do with like Scrabble, and you're like, I can't give you a point for that. And then you go and look in the um, Merriam-Webster, like the American version of the Oxford English Dictionary, and you realise that's a that's a word. Wow. Honestly, it's just, it's tough. It's tough to score points here. But again, if you don't have a British dictionary there, you could just make words up and say that they're British. Again, that feels like cheating, but thanks for giving me that advice on record. Yeah, so really, I hope you it's don't good to record, record my cheating advice out. Yeah. Miriam, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for your work. Thank you for your commitment to students around the world. And... Um, yeah, just your your work in helping the church be a safer place for students. I just think that's amazing. So thank you for doing that. No, yeah, well, thank you for resourcing the church to be a safer place as well. Like we need each other. So yeah. it's good to be in touch. That's great. And on the, the Fusion blog, they've actually got a piece written by one of uh, Sanctuary staff, uh, Jane Bourne. That's yeah, great. Piece. And uh, that's on the blog and that's uh, also promoting yeah, yeah. grief resource. So you can look that up on the Fusion blog. Um, what's the web address for Fusion? Fusionmovement.org. Fusionmovement.org. Okay, look it up. Great. Well, thanks for joining us. We will see you next time on the Sanctuary Podcast. Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries exists to equip the church to be a sanctuary for all people at all stages of their mental wellness journeys. May this podcast encourage you to create safe space for your own story and the stories of others, as well as create change in communities that stigmatize those suffering with mental health challenges. The Sanctuary Course is a small group resource designed to help initiate and guide conversations about mental health and faith. It is a starting point, creating a base of shared knowledge from which churches can explore the next steps. Perhaps most importantly, through the simple act of talking openly about mental health, the course helps churches begin to create safe spaces for people to share their mental health stories and receive support in community. Each theme in the course is explored from a psychological, social and theological perspective, and each session is accompanied by a compelling film focused on an individual story, a person of faith who has journeyed through mental health challenges. Interested in exploring the Sanctuary Course for use in your community? Learn more at SanctuaryCourse.com. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives 4.0 license. Don't change it or sell it, but please share it all you like.